Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women in Pop podcast. This is Jet Tattersall here with you again. First up, since our last episode, the latest issue of Women in Pop magazine has arrived, with none other than the always incredible Lady Gaga on the cover. Inside, we have a 10-page feature on Gaga exploring her phenomenal career and her hard-fought path to critical respect. We also celebrate the 30th anniversary of Madonna's acclaimed Like a Prayer album by looking back at the creation of this iconic musical masterpiece. Plus, interviews with 80s legends Bananarama, the ghetto superstar herself, Maya, Australian stars Olympia, Julia Jacqueline, and some of the hottest new talent around, including Grace Carter, Lil Halima, and Indy Stanton. And if that wasn't enough, there is also an incredibly fetching picture of myself, which really seals the deal, doesn't it? <laughs> Issue 6 of Women in Pop magazine is on sale now. To find a retailer, go to womeninpop.com forward slash retailers or buy online at womeninpop.com forward slash subscribe. Now... On to today's show, and our guest is no stranger to the pages of Women in Pop magazine. First appearing in issue two in 2017, she is a rock star, rapper, songwriter, Grammy Award nominee, and a stupendous person to boot. She has just released her third album, Solutions, and we are chuffed to have her with us today. Known to her family as Christine Flaherty, I'm pronouncing that with an Irish accent, it is of <laughs> course the wonderful Kay Flay. Hello and welcome. I loved your Irish accent. That was great. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to get you to do it now. You know, I I have a um, I have like a mental I have a brain block on accents. I cannot do accents, and it it remains actually a point of deep uh, like consternation for me that I cannot I cannot rewire my brain. So I can't really do an Irish accent. But I will say, when we first the first time I went to Dublin, we were we like came we we arrived on the on the ferry we're on our bus and the immigration officers came in and uh dude's opening up the passports he's ah flarty okay (laughs) it was and i was like it's happening in irish first i'm in ireland so (laughs) how do pretty how do you pronounce your name in america like how do people pronounce it flarity flarity it's very (laughs) and that's like a midwestern situation so my my dad um, who is the Flaherty namesake, grew up on the East Coast, where they kind of have Flaherty, a little bit of the, like, Irish Irishness left. But, yeah, I grew up in Chicago, so it's Flaherty. Flaherty. Okay, I like that. Yeah. You're digging on that. <laughs> now, congratulations on the re- release of Solutions. It is an incredible album, full of dirty synths, squat pop and beats, and pop-soaked chorus calling out to the babes of the world. I have been listening to it on repeat, which I've just been hammering at you about. Um, but I feel like it's an almost an album of two halves. There are some really beautiful, vulnerable moments and moments when you seem really quite pissed off. Um, what did you want to get across with this release? Well, first and foremost, the the challenge I think I, I issued to myself with every song was, and I think for me and for many songwriters, the, the point, the initial point of creation is a moment of pain or reckoning or sadness or loneliness, like something bad. You know, you don't, usually when you're in the, in the throes of like pure joy, you're not like, I need to sit down and write a song. <laughs> um, it's usually the throes of, you know, pure despair. So um, the challenge for me on this record was how do I take that starting point of negativity or cynicism or whatever it is and make it feel like give it levity in some way or make it feel hopeful or kind of search for that that angle of of hope because that's what I I think I felt like I needed in 
just my personal life and as a citizen of the United States and the world and as I face this, you know, the crazy reality of of just living here day to day, like, I need some relief. And each song was, I guess, my attempt to find a little relief. That's great. And you know, that's so true because often we'll talk to artists or you, you know, you read articles and what we've gotten used to hearing is a killer dance floor filler makeout track. Actually, they wrote when they were like dealing with grief or, (laughs) you know, tumbling on the floor and they're like, okay, so I can't really write my crying diary, but what if I put this beat on it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. I think, I mean, I I really do think that confessional creativity, the starting point, you know, 95% of the time is a feeling of alienation or... You know, even if it's just one strange moment in your day when you've been filled with love and activity and excitement, but in that moment you feel totally alone, like that's the moment when you're going to feel like writing something. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was just exciting for me to, instead of being like, okay, let me go down the path of darkness, uh, to <laughs> to kind of pivot and think about how to how to just switch my perspective a little bit and see if it even worked. Like, see if that even felt exciting or the songs turned out well. That was an experiment in a lot of ways. Do you think some, like, really intense Megadeth bands like Cannibal Corpse do that, but in reverse? Oh, wow. (laughs) So they'll be in a Jack Johnson mood. They're like, no, no, wait, I'm going to. That is, please do an entire episode. (laughs) Do a whole issue on that. That's actually a great question. I have no idea. I've never, I don't really know a lot of metal people. They've, they aren't, they're in hiding at the moment, but they're still there. They're You've got to go to the right bars. <laughs> okay, they're in Iceland somewhere. <laughs> okay, so. got it. <laughs> now, listen, can we talk about your Bad Vibes video? Um, I, I just love it. It's so very cool. You've got a gang of, like, badass correctional women kicking in jumpsuits and playing basketball while slamming and dancing with their dinner plates. I mean, can you tell me a little about the story of this video, the inspiration and the location as well where you shot? Yeah. So this video and actually this will be further illuminated is part of a three-part story, visual story. The other two parts are coming shortly uh, for other songs. So I wanted to, you know, with this record in general, I had a little bit of time and I think enough pre-planning. With the last record, I was like on the road and everything was kind of like helter-skelter. And this time around, I was in L.A. I had the ability to to create like cohesive visuals and a vision for this record. And one of the things I wanted to do was have the, have the music videos tie together to tell a story. So this is actually the middle part of the story. Um, but... We wanted to create an environment that felt sort of dystopian a little bit or or otherworldly, but fundamentally felt like fun and kind of kind of beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Despite like there being something nefarious or dark feeling going on in the background. And we shot it in Topanga Canyon in Los Angeles, which is and we shot it at like an acid cult house. It was actually kind of, like, weird. Wow. Like, the swimming pool was shaped like fallopian tubes. <laughs> Where you're like, oh, who built this? Like, um, Definitely, like, a lot of people have done drugs and other, I, God only knows what. So it had this kind of, like, weird hippie energy. But it was a really 
it was a really cool place to shoot the video because it did have this like otherworldliness and you know the the sensibility for the videos and I think it's a sense that a lot of us have right now and it's sort of the spirit there's another song on the record called Not in California which is this feeling of disorientation like I'm looking around at the world that I'm living in but somehow it doesn't feel like the world that I'm living in or I want to be living in or I mm-hmm. should be living in and I think that that sense is very acute in the United States right now for a lot of us because we look around at you know I read the newspaper in the morning and I'm like this isn't happening like what this is ha-? you know that kind of um, disorientation, I don't know what other word to use, that was a sense that I wanted to achieve with these videos too. Like we're in we're in this universe but shifted three degrees. Okay. Okay, I love that. And just for our listeners, we're just going to play a little bit of Bad Vibes right now. Okay, can I ask you, you did speak uh, on Instagram the other day about the song DNA, which is just absolutely beautiful, um, and that it represents a journey. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Totally. So DNA is the last song on this record, and it's it's kind of, I think it's like the culmination of a lot of thinking I've been doing for you know, a lot, most of my adult life about my biological dad. So I have two dads, my biological dad. They're both named Tom, which is very confusing. My biological dad died when I was 14 and was a really serious um, alcoholic and substance abuser. And that, you know, and that kill, ended up killing him. And I have another dad who adopted me and raised me. And I always felt like and if, you know, people listening have a relative, a close family member who died when they were young, one of the things I've noticed just talking to people, those people become like these like ghost people in your life where you're you're able to sort of imagine them and project things onto them that may or may not be true because they're they're kind of like characters in a story that you're writing. They're not even people who have free will. And in in my music, I think my biological dad has served that purpose for me. He's been a way for me to think about how I want to behave, how I don't want to behave. So for so much of my life, uh, as a, until I was like 24, I was like, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs. Like, that's, that's bad. And I don't do that. Other people do that. I don't do that. And with no room for gray area. And then when I was 24, I started drinking and experimenting with with that kind of stuff and never like went to any extremes uh but it was this moment of you know again I think for so long I defined myself in opposition to this person um and wasn't able to see the ways in which he had given me because people always say to me oh you look like your dad Mm. and so the, the chorus lyric in that song is people say I look like you and for a long time, I really wanted to, like, eschew that. Like, ugh, I'm not like that. 
I'm different. But in some ways, I'm very similar, and I can be proud of that, and I can embrace. I think the song to me is uh, an embracing of gray area and nuance, which is like the great, the great mountain of growing up. I think is is figuring out how to how to live in gray areas and accept them. There really aren't absolutes. I mean, I guess there's a few maybe, but like most situations are just so so nuanced and. I think I'm finally at the point of being okay with that. I love that. And it's so true. I mean, we do it in fiction. We do it uh, in storytelling. What we love is a character, be it someone we know, a character driven by gray area because we want to relate to them. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's particularly interesting or was for me with my dad because he didn't have any volition after I was 14, you know, like him in my mind was kind of set. So I I could kind of, you know, use use him as a as a device in my songwriting. And this feels like not to say I'm never going to talk about my dad again, but this almost feels like the the bookend to that reckoning. Like, I feel like I've reached a point of of peace there. And, you know, what's crazy about that song is, you know, I had my relationship with my dad. I mean, almost everyone who listened to that song for the first time got emotional because we all, I mean, all of us are in this crazy, this crazy reckoning of like, I came from these people, but I'm not like these people, but I am like these people. I love these people, but God, these people drive me insane. How could I be like these people? You know, like, and there's so much joy and so much pain and so much shame that comes from like being inextricably tied to your parents (laughs) no that's so true and it's such a beautiful song we're just going to play a little bit of that now here's kayflay with dna Now, Kay Blake, do you have, of course you do, please tell me your favorite track on the album. Mine is uh, This Baby Don't Cry. I have repeat, repeat, yeah. repeat. <laughs> but You know what? At the moment, that's my favorite song too because it, it, has, um, it has my favorite line, which, is, which I think sort of, at least for, for my headspace right now and maybe my, my life in general, um, so I, I guess it's in the second verse, I say, um, I used to want to say an early goodbye, but I'm a disco queen. I just keep staying alive. And <laughs> I think what's funny to me, and I've seen this, like, there was some terrible, like, Instagram thing someone posted where it was like, remember that, like, every day, you, like, you're reading this right now means, like, you got through every day of your life. You did it. And it was a little cheesy, but it's it's so true. Like, when I look back, you know, life is just this constantly 
the the only comfort I can find in like the darkest moments sometimes is just that like everything's always changing. Like even 10 seconds ago, I felt differently than how I feel now. Yeah. And there's something very calming to me about that. And I think, you know, as a person who's felt at times, I mean, not like truly suicidal or anything, but like, man, I don't feel like I want to keep doing this or I can. And I think that's a feeling a lot of us have. Um, You know, I just kind of wait. And I just keep on, <laughs> I keep on waking up, and uh, you know, I try to, I try to have a good day if I can, and that's kind of like my my guide to life. Not that it's great advice, but that line always strikes me as pretty funny, and um, I've I've found that uh, a sense of humor is very very good to have in those dark times. It's kind of like the only thing to to cling to in many ways. Oh, I think it's a rule of life. Like everything has to be funny. You do like it's. I completely agree. And when whenever you talk to somebody who's really in like the the throes of something bad, they will tell you like they have the darkest senses of humor, you know. And it's, it can make people uncomfortable when they're like joking, like people who are really sick and they're joking about their illness. Um, you know, people people like get get uncomfortable with that. But it's like, how else can you deal with the? The horror of it all. How else can you deal with it? And I, I think you've just got another song line right there. I just wake up. I just keep waking up. <laughs> I just keep waking up. That's all. That's we a can great do. song, actually. I just keep waking up. That's all we can do. We spoke to Aurora recently, and she said, "You know, we're humans. It's kind of an extreme sport, isn't it?" And I was like, yes. "That's great. Exactly. It is an extreme sport. <laughs> <laughs> it's very momental." <laughs> Now, can I talk as well, um, or can you talk me through, there is some beautiful synth coming in, particularly with the track Sister, which is also so glorious, and some more poppy sounds on this album, which we haven't really heard from you before. What inspired you to go in this new direction? Well, early on in the process, I was very, very engrossed in uh, This Is Happening, the LCD Sound System record, which... You know, I've of course have listened to, but I never, I never really like exclusively played. And um, what I love about that album is, I mean, James Murphy is an an excellent lyricist, um, and just has like these sage, profound lines like embedded in a weird dance song. But what I love about that album is the tracks feel very upbeat, and the lyrics are not always. Um, And I like that juxtaposition. And, of course, that's, like, drum machine and synth-based. So I wanted to utilize synthesizers in a way that I hadn't before, almost in the way that I used guitar and bass on the last record. You know, so I think I think every new record, there's, like, a couple new elements um, instrumentally that feel kind of like the new frontier. And so that was, you know, with every song, I think I was more keen to, like, have that be the starting point and explore it as an additional element of the song. So that was that was the reasoning behind it, I suppose. And once I started doing it, it just felt really good, you know? And then when something feels good, you just want to keep doing it. And I'm sorry, but who doesn't feel good with a bit of synth? You know, synthesizers are very gratifying. <laughs> um, and what's cool about them, unlike most other instruments, anyone can press, like, a single key and it like sounds good. <laughs> so you know? True. It's a very low level 
I mean, not to denigrate like people who are masters, but the 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 barrier of entry is low. Are you saying like the synthesizer is the electronic version of the triangle? Like I am. <laughs> you can nail it. Except the triangle doesn't have a lot of satisfaction. No. When so you when you hit that thing, it's not like it doesn't it doesn't feel um, you know like a primal moment. Whereas <laughs> synthesizers, I, I do think have primality. If it's, that's a word, that's I don't true. think like, it is. I'm a magician. Yeah, you feel like a magician. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, now, listen, your career started out as something as a bit of a joke. When you did a parody rap song, Blingity Blang Blang, in 2003, can you still remember the lyrics? Oh, my God, no. I've, I mean, you have to remember, like, I was a very serious university student, like, psychotically serious. I loved school. I, st- I mean... I probably will go back at some point. I, I really, really loved school. And this was kind of just this weird thing I started doing on the side. And partially probably hearkening back to our earlier conversation, I was dead sober. So I had a lot of like when everyone else was like hungover or dealing, I would just had time on my hands at <laughs> <laughs> all this time. So I really have no recollection. I wrote tons of songs during that period. But it was, you know, it was really cool to to have this thing that didn't have rules and I couldn't get a grade on and just felt like, I mean, it felt like magic. It felt like a magic trick. And it still does when whenever, and it's crazy, like no matter what happens in my career and you know, good things, bad things, nothing parallels the feeling of just writing a song, like taking taking nothing and making something. Even if the something never comes out and you only, like, listen to it once or twice, it does feel like a real human thing to do. You know, like, no offense to kangaroos, but they <laughs> they don't do that. They could be magical on the show. <laughs> I mean, they might be magical in their own ways, but, like, the the act of, of like, expressive creation yeah. um, in, in, in creating artifacts just feels like so cool and I still have like a childlike joy whenever I do it and whenever I'm a part of it it's um it's a great thing to do like I highly recommend to just anyone to just try writing a song like playing music feels good that's probably one of the most beautiful and hopeful and humanist things I've heard recently on the fact that it makes you feel human creating makes you feel human that's glorious and people need to hear that more because we're very down on ourselves at the moment we are and you know um one of the things i i started doing this past year too was just like drawing i'm not good at drawing but it feels great to draw like there's a reason kids of all abilities draw like there's a reason when you take a kid to a restaurant they want crayons and they want to draw (laughs) Like it's just, it just feels good. I don't know. I don't know the like the neuroscience of it. I'm sure there's research on it, but you know, there's a longstanding human tradition of just making stuff, and I think it's like good to be engaged in that, no matter what your job is, because we have so many abstracted jobs right now. We like live in an abstracted society. So like, you do HR, okay? What? like okay so you're part of a big corporation and like you work in this software do you know how it's created no do you know how a computer works no do you know how the light bulbs even turn on no like you're doing 
levels on levels on levels on levels. And and so I think I think there's something like, I don't know, it's just good to like put your, as I slam the table, put your hands on something and make it, even if it sucks. But isn't that interesting? We still say, oh, even if it sucks, like we're so, it's like you hear people, oh, I'm not creative, I, I can't do right. it. Right, Well, and this gets back to another point, which is most people who end up kind of like, quote unquote, succeeding in the arts, they're just the ones who kept doing it. Mm-mm. Like, I don't think I'm really, like, that good at anything necessarily. Like, I just got good at being vulnerable and being open to, like, people hearing what I was doing and committing to it, I guess, on some level. But I think I think resilience is just, like, uh, almost the more defining characteristic of a lot of people who end up doing creative stuff for their job. It's just, well, like, sheer, sheer endurance. Of course it is because you're— you're putting yourself out there so much, particularly when you're writing your own songs or anything, you know. There's no one else. You can't be like, oh, no, it was. It, I was just singing someone else's. Like, it is all you. It is all you. And there's not many people that have the courage to do that. So you're right. It's resilience and a thick skin and whatever you want to call on, but perseverance. Yeah, and I think I always get back to like, okay, well, what's the worst-case scenario? So I'm nervous before the show, right? What's the worst thing that could happen? I have a panic attack on stage. I run off stage and the show doesn't happen. And people are like, that was weird. That's it. That's, that's, <laughs> I'd probably get good press for it. I should probably do it. Um, people are like, yeah, Kayfley shows are really weird. Sometimes she doesn't even sing. It's, um, but, but that's, that's kind of liberating where I'm like, well, the worst thing that happens is like maybe it's ego injury. That's not that bad. And um, there's something kind of funny about that too. With the right, again, with the right sense of humor, like that's that's okay. And There'll maybe, be a like, comedy moment in that. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, humiliation you get it very quickly turns from like real feelings of degradation to pure comedy. It's <laughs> 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 so very, you know, the balance is is very it's precise. A, it's a fine. Like, well, these bad times we have horrible nights, and we go, "This will be funny tomorrow." Just wait. This will be funny. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you who were your musical influences growing up, and is there one classic song that you would love to cover, collaborate, or spin on? Well. I mean, growing up, I was in the household. I was exposed to kind of standard, like, you know, 60s, 70s rock that my parents just listened to. Um, so that's like, you know, a lot of Beatles, Stones, Beach Boys. Like, well, my dad listened to Led Zeppelin. There's also a lot of blues in the house. I grew up outside Chicago, so there's, a, you know, that's like a huge blues kind of uh, scene there. I didn't really start caring about music, though, until I got to college. Um, And that's when I started listening to a lot of independent rap that was happening in America. But also, you know, um, Dizzy Rascal, who's a U.K. rapper, his first record was very influential to me because I'd never heard anything like it. It was like almost like listening to a foreign language. The the rhythm of—I mean, because— the U.S. is the birthplace of, you know, kind of like modern hip-hop as we know it. And there's there's certain ways that I just got used to hearing it. And when I listened to that boy in the corner, I, I was like, whoa, you could do that? You know, um, so I think any time I've heard records that felt like the person making it just didn't 
not that they didn't care, but they maybe didn't even know the rules. That's exciting to me. Um, and then, I, and then I started really getting into a lot of female-driven kind of alternative indie music, which I think you know reflects in in what I do now. Um, I'm a big, big, big Metric fan. Like their first three records, and Emily Haynes has a solo record that she put out in 2006 uh, that I didn't know at the time but listened to later. Those were very foundational albums for me uh, because there was kind of punky spirit with, I think, you know, just excellent and very specific lyrics. And I and I really like detailed, specific lyrics. Cool. And um, actually, you mentioned, sorry to interrupt, but you know who I love is Julia Jacqueline. I think she's like... I think her and Courtney Barnett right now like are two of the best songwriters in the world and they have such specific detailed lyrics and I love that about both of them. Now Kayfley there has been a lot of debate recently around the treatment of women in the entertainment industry in particular. What are your thoughts on gender equality and sexism in the industry and do you think we have a problem? Well, I mean, I think we have of course we have a problem. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think that that question is like we have a we have a worldwide problem that that affects every industry and every family and every relationship. I mean, I think, you know, misogyny and sexism has been unfortunately a part of the human experience seemingly since the the dawn of it. And um you know, I think what's unique about music is that there are a lot of women in visible positions of voice power, right? There's a lot of female singers and people whose voices we, like, actually hear, which is really cool. I think, um, to me, it feels like—and I feel like it's happening, but for those voices and those people to feel like they will not be punished— by the world or by their label or by their partner or by whoever um, for expressing themselves with, like, the same freedom and nuance as, you know, a straight white man can at any time of day. I think I do feel like personally I have experienced, you know, huge amounts of respect, freedom, like, latitude in a way that my my friends who aren't in music have not experienced. But I think it's by virtue of the me being lucky, number one, and the team that I've been able to build around me and the fact that I didn't start doing music when I was super, super young, mm-hmm. that, I, that I sort of had, like, a different maturity start point to just sort of know, like, have my compass north set a little bit more clearly. That's not to blame anyone who gets in a bad situation. It's just to say when you're young, sometimes you just don't know what's happening um, and how to manage everything. So I I feel lucky in a lot of ways, but I do think, yeah, I mean, we're living in a world of entrenched misogyny. So it's it's everywhere you go. It's everywhere. Entrenched misogyny. I like that. Um, No, you don't like that. (laughs) No, I don't like that. (laughs) But I want it printed on bumper stickers. (laughs) Now, quick, okay, Flay, I mean, you've got a lot going on while you're here, but what are your plans for the rest of this year? What are your future plans? My future plans. Um, well, this fall is kind of the start of the big, long headline run, uh, which is U.S., Canada, U.K., Europe. Um, and that's like, you know, 
that's the real kind of like the the long iceberg of of touring that happens this year, which I'm actually really excited for. I've had a whole kind of like revolution about the live show and just realizing, you know, more and more that it is it's not about me. Um, so any ego concerns I have can just be like thrown by the wayside. It's just about what kind of what kind of environment am I creating? Like when someone goes to a restaurant, they don't care about the chef. They just want to have a great experience. And that's like, I'm the chef. So if I'm <laughs> caught up in my own ego, then I've really lost the plot somewhere. And um, yeah, so I'm just trying to make a great restaurant. And that's fun and exciting. So a lot of touring. I have a bit more writing this summer. We're doing kind of shows, you know, like we're here in Australia for the week um, and have some one-offs in the States. But just just remaining creative and I have a few other projects that um, – or like kind of side things I've been working on, which I'm excited about. And I'm just trying to be creative and, you know, make like one person's day better every day. And that feels like, a, you know, somewhere to start. And wake up, continue and to wake up. And just keep waking up. <laughs> Again, I just keep waking up. <laughs> and can I ask you finally, if you could rattle off your top five women in poppers or top five women in pop songs... So we can make a little list out of it for our listeners. Oh, um, well, actually, you kind of mentioned this, but we've been, we've been like, I've been having a Madonna renaissance because I never really got into Madonna. Like, I think I'm not to say I missed the boat, but I was like, me, I wasn't there for the the prime years, and then there was like the ray of light years that I was there for, but I was kind of like in an in sync zone or something. I was doing something really <laughs> weird. Um, but I do think Like a Prayer does remain one of the great, like, classic, classic, uh, like, pop songs ever written. So we'll include that. Um, I don't know if this counts as pop, but we were talking about this song last night, uh, Amy Winehouse Rehab. Just that, you know, so here's a song that is just, you know, like, fucking devastating. <laughs> a devastating lyric um, that somehow... F- feels light you know it feels fun even though it's it's so not fun on every level and of course like as things played out supremely not fun and it's easy to sing like she's a great she's a great singer but that song's not hard to sing like anyone can sing rehab the melody's pretty accessible so that's definitely one of them again i don't know if these all count as pop but um for me missy elliott the rain was like a huge moment the song was a huge moment. The video was a huge moment because visually that's me as a however, you know, 10-year-old or whenever that song came out, seeing a woman be like doing like experimental art for a music video and being sort of bodiless. And that was very revolutionary. I think it's very revolutionary and was a very like seminal moment in a lot of ways. Okay, what else? Um, two more songs. Well, I just, I just love this song, which is a uh, "Teenage Dream" by Katy Perry. <laughs> it's a great song. <laughs> Some songs feel like what they're about. Yeah, like fundamentally, that song feels like what it's about. So I love that. And then, ooh, okay, let's think about this last one. It's mm. always the last one. You're like, oh, he's gonna take the crown. Well, there's always a lot of pressure. Okay, I'm going to kind of pivot here just because I would like to include it. Um, so I'm a big, big Yeah Yeah Yeah's fan. And 
Maps. I know it's not a pop song. Well, maybe it is by this point. I don't, who, who knows? It's it's a female catchy dance song. We'll stick it in. Well, it's like Maps, when that guitar note this begins of that song, you just know the song. And I think it's so great when a song just has one little note and it starts like that and everyone knows what it is. So we'll end on Maps, um, which, again, They Don't Love You Like I Love You, one of the great lyrics been used many times in other songs since. Um, and actually Beyonce used that. Um uh, which was a wonderful illusion moment, um, elongating the pop history of it all. And she's she's in that list too. But I just didn't name a song because my you know I'm in Australia. I just flew in yesterday. My brain only like partially works. She knows it. She's Beyonce. She yeah, she doesn't it. need she, to be on a list. She doesn't. She's need Beyonce. <laughs> Now, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, K-Flay. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Listeners, do not forget K-Flay's new album, Solutions, is out now and is available on all platforms. Please get out there and download, stream, and buy it as much as you can. And finally, Women in Pop Issues 6 is out now with Lady Gaga on the cover, along with features on Madonna, Bananarama, Maya, Julia Jacklin, Grace Carter, Olympia, and many more. Go to womeninpop.com now to get your copy. Thank you so much for tuning in. It has been a blast. We will be back again soon. Goodbye and thank you, K-Flay. Thank you so much. Uh-huh.